Spirit, God, we thank you from the bottom of our souls for arising from that grave. That you are God, you are all powerful. God, that you died for wretched sinners like ourselves, and that you conquered death. God, we thank you for that, and we celebrate that today. We celebrate Christ the risen Savior, God, and we look forward to his return in all his glory. We look forward to that. God, may Michael just stand behind the cross now as he as he speaks from your word and shares. God, open our hearts and our minds to what you have for each one of us today. I thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. And you may be seated. And Phil, if you'll leave, you can leave a blank screen. I'll be leave it on. We're going to sing again at the end when we finish. Well, again, good morning to you and, uh, and welcome to Christ Community Church. It is, uh, it is good to see each and every one of you again. We are going to be in Luke chapter 24 this morning. You can begin turning there, Luke chapter 24. Look at a couple of sections of, uh, of that last chapter in Luke's Gospel. But I have a question for you as you turn. What are you looking for this morning? I have a confession. Um, Easter Sunday is always a struggle for me because I think it's, it's got to be you know, better than regular Sundays. And sometimes it's not. <laughs> sometimes I'll, I'll leave Easter Sunday and, and go, yes, that was good. And, and I, I always enjoy fellowshipping with the saints. I mean, regardless of, of, of what Sunday it is. But there's this, this, I don't know if it's cultural, I don't know where it is. There's this expectation somewhere in the back of my mind that, that Easter is supposed to be somehow different than every other Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection. Which is, of course, why we gather on Sundays, is to celebrate the resurrection. And so I've, I've been asking myself that question kind of all week. What are you looking for on Sunday? What are your expectations, Michael? What do you, what do you want to get out of this? What Peace? A little bit better hope? What are you looking for? And so since I've been struggling with that this week, I I thought it would only fair to let you struggle with me. And so we're going to kind of wrestle with that this morning. What are you looking for? And maybe the better question is, are you looking for Jesus this morning? Are you looking for Jesus this morning? (coughs) The problem with that, though, is that we as humans, sometimes we look in the wrong place for Jesus, or we look for the wrong person in Jesus. We look for the wrong, we look in the wrong place, or we look for the wrong person. And what Luke does in chapter 24 is he gives us a couple of scenes where some of the disciples are looking in the wrong place, and they're looking for the wrong person. And my hope is, is that we look at what they've done 
and the response that God makes to them, that will help us keep from looking in the wrong place for Jesus and looking for the wrong person. That's my hope. So let's begin in in Luke, and we're going to look at the first eight verses of chapter 24, then we'll talk about that a little bit, then we'll skip down and look at another section and some other disciples. Before I read that, I don't want you to think that I'm being hard on these disciples because they did look in the wrong place and they did look for the wrong person. If I were in their shoes, I certainly wouldn't have done any better and probably would have done a lot worse. Knowing what they knew, knowing that a couple of days earlier they had seen Jesus crucified. You and I probably wouldn't have responded any differently than they would have looking in the wrong place and looking for the wrong person. Chapter 24, we read these words. But on the first day of the week, early dawn, they came, they being the women that we read about in 23, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing, And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would encourage us that you would challenge us, that you would strengthen us in our faith, that we might bring you honor and glory and praise that is rightfully yours. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. They were in the wrong place, and the angels implied that they should have known they were in the wrong place. Why are you seeking the living one among the dead? And they reminded the women that he had said he would be raised again on the third day. Now again, if I were in their shoes, I think I would have done exactly what they did because a Roman crucifixion looks pretty final. Whatever hope they may have had seemed to have died on the cross with Jesus. So so I don't blame them for that. Plus, they were in the process of, of doing a duty. They were going to anoint the body. And sometimes when we get caught up in our duty, we forget to think about the possibilities. Sometimes when we get caught up in duty, we fail to think about the possibilities. This is what this is my task. And, and God surely won't intervene in the midst of my task. God surely won't show up and do something different because here's my duty. Here's what God's called me to do. Surely He wouldn't mess with that. But they were in the wrong place. They were looking for life in the place of death. And they should have known. 
How many times did Jesus tell His followers that He would be raised again? How many times did He say throughout the Gospels that I'm life, I'm resurrection, I'm eternal life? We do the same thing. We fail to remember where Jesus told us that He would be. Uh, we may know. We may, we may know, okay, yeah, yeah Jesus is, is back with the Father. We may get that. And we may not really look around the corner or look next door or look somewhere for Jesus, but how often do we look for those things that He says He supplies to us somewhere else? How often do you look for hope somewhere besides Jesus? How often do you look for peace somewhere besides where Jesus is? How often do you look for joy or excitement or contentment somewhere other than where Jesus is? And I believe the remedy to us is the same thing that the remedy for the ladies were, right? The angels told them where they should be looking, where live people are, not where dead people are. So we, we go to the Scriptures and we say, well, where is Jesus supposed to be? Well, it's clear from Matthew through Revelation, over a dozen times the Scriptures say that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father or the right hand of God or the right hand of the throne of majesty. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Paul, Peter... The writer of Hebrews all use that phrase that Jesus currently is at the right hand of the Father. John doesn't use that terminology, but he also makes it clear where Jesus is. He is with the Father in heaven. Okay, that's all well and good, but what's he doing? I know where to look, but what's he doing? And if we ask that question, I think we can, it can help us keep from looking somewhere else for hope and joy and peace and contentment. Because the first thing the Bible talks about that he's doing is he's interceding for us. Romans 8, Hebrews 7 talks about that while he's at the right hand, he is interceding for us. Uh, there are times in my life, and I'm sure there are times in your life, when you just don't know what to pray or even how to pray. You may feel a need, you may feel an emptiness, you may feel discontent, you may feel not at peace, you may feel hopeless, and you just, I don't, I don't even know what words to say. Or you say words and you feel like they're kind of bouncing off the ceiling. And it's at that point in time that we need to think about the resurrection because the resurrection promises us that He is not only at the right hand of the Father, but He's interceding for us. The immediate context of both that passage in Romans 8 and Hebrews 7 where it talks about Him interceding for us is the context of resurrection. See, crucified men don't pray for people. But the reason that we know that He's still interceding for us today because He's been resurrected. And so that intercession is ongoing because He is ongoing. Because He is eternal life. And we can be confident and content 
that when we are without words, when we are at a, at a loss as to what to do, we have a resurrected Savior who's interceding for us before the throne of God. And that's good news. And that's what the resurrection encourages us with this morning. But that's not all that Jesus is doing at the right hand of the Father. He's also giving us free access to the Father. You see, God is holy and righteous and just, and we're not. From the moment we show up on planet Earth, we have inherited a sin nature from Adam. And we have no business and no right and no ability to come into God's presence. Because our sin earned for us a penalty. And that penalty was death. The Bible speaks of the fact that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And that, that man can't give himself for the sins of man. Right? A flawed sacrifice can't sacrifice for a flawed person. And so we, we needed something, desperately needed something. And what Jesus did, He said to His Father, I will take their sin. Would you imagine with me for a moment the worst sin that you can think of? And then imagine you, you doing that worst sin that you can think of. And then imagine going before your parents or maybe someone else you respect and, and saying, I'm guilty of that. And that's what Jesus did. He took... Your sin, and we may think, well, it's not the worst sin, but any sin is offensive to God, and He took your sin, all of it, and bore it before His Father as if it was His own. And if that wasn't enough, He then took His righteousness, the perfection that He's had for all eternity, and said, I want to give that to those who will turn to me in repentance and belief that I died and rose again. And when, when we do that, when we believe in the death and resurrection for our sins, that He took that and we turn to Him, giving ourselves to Him, then He stands before the Father and gives us full access into the Father's presence which we didn't have and couldn't earn and couldn't get to on our own. That's the wonder of the resurrection. That's the beauty of the resurrection. Is that we have an opportunity to be in the presence of the Father confidently and boldly walking into the Holy of Holies in heaven. Not just the one on earth where that high priest back a long time ago could go once a year in fear and trembling. The Bible says we can enter the presence of God confidently and boldly if 
we have believed in the death and resurrection of Christ, if the blood of Christ has been applied to our lives. And that's good news. And so, where are you looking for Christ? Where are you looking for Jesus? I hope that you're looking for Him in heaven as, as the one when we feel like we just can't get there, intercedes for us. And the one who gives us access for all that we need to the Father. God, I need some peace. Well, where are you looking? The world? Are you looking to heaven where you have access to the Father who gives peace? When you need grace, when you need hope, when you need joy, where is your first look? Is it like the women? They went where they thought they were supposed to go, and that was the place of death. Do we look around the world for hope or joy or peace or contentment? Do we look to other people? Do we look to personalities? Do we look to activities? Do we look to addictions? Do we look to anywhere else besides heaven? If you are looking anywhere else, you're looking in the place of death. All of those things will pass away. But what about those people who haven't accepted the death and resurrection? They can't look to the Father. They can't look to heaven. They don't have access. Where are they supposed to find Jesus? What's interesting is the Bible speaks of another place where Jesus is found. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 for a moment. Paul in his letter to the Colossians explains that there's somewhere else besides heaven where Jesus can be found by those who don't know Him. And lo and behold, it's a place that in the Bible is called the body of Christ, which we call the church. Beginning in, in verse 24 of chapter 1, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of His body, which is the church, and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. In verse 24, Paul compares the body of Christ to the church. I think, well, that's just kind of a metaphor. I mean, you know, we're His hands and His feet, and we do the things He did when He was on earth. But it's a lot more than that, if we keep reading. In verse 25, Paul says he's been given a responsibility. He calls it a stewardship. He's been given a responsibility to proclaim God's Word as a servant. To the Gentiles. And then he calls that word a mystery. And then he defines what that mystery is, what that proclamation is, what he's supposed to be proclaiming. And he says in verse 27 To the saints, God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. God willed to, through you, make known this mystery among those who don't know God through Christ. And what is the mystery? It's Christ in you. It's the fact that that Christ dwells in His church and it's our responsibility, like Paul, to proclaim that truth to the world. If you want to see Jesus, look at us. And I think, oh, God help us. 
you're well aware, as, as I am, that the church has not always done the best job of being Jesus to the world. And yet the scriptures tell us that the world, those who have not accepted Christ, have only one place to look to see God. God does some miraculous things. Sometimes God reaches down and grasps people's hearts irrespective of kind of where they're looking. I don't understand that. But if, if we want people to see Jesus here on earth, the church is it. The reason being is because it's a gathering of people from all kinds of places and backgrounds, some of which may not even like each other. And yet they're called to love each other and sacrifice for each other and serve one another. And when people who are different, different backgrounds, different personalities, different races, different socioeconomic statuses, when those people do that, even when they don't like each other, if they love one another, if they sacrifice for one another, if they care for one another, then the world sees a perfect model of Jesus Christ. See, we have a great responsibility. As we're in the process of looking for Jesus ourselves, we have a great responsibility and a great privilege to be a light to the nations. To be the body of Christ. His hands and His feet, His compassion, His love, His sacrifice. As you and I honor Him by being Him for those who don't know Him. So while we're looking to heaven for Jesus, people are looking to us. And my prayer for us on a regular basis is that we would do that well. Is that we would learn what it means to forgive one another, to care for one another, to love one another, to serve one another, to sacrifice for one another. That those on the outside who look in can say, huh, that's different. Because you know as well as I do that the church has done some poor things in the past. We have done, as Ezekiel said, the nation of Israel done, profaned God's name among the nations. My prayer is that this body, Christ Community Church, would not ever be accused of doing that. So where, where are you looking for Jesus? Among the dead or among the living in heaven? There's another scene that begins in, in verse 13. These disciples were looking for the wrong person. Back in chapter 24 of Luke, we read these words, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus Himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing Him. And He said to them, What are these words which you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. 
Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. But also some of the women amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe and all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and enter his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They were looking for the wrong person. And the right person showed up and they missed him. They didn't recognize Jesus because they were looking for someone else. Again, I don't blame them. They'd seen Jesus crucified. That's, that's, that's final. So it seems. The problem is, in verse 20 and 21, they knew about the crucifixion, and then notice verse 21, the crucifixion happened, but we were hoping. Our hope is lost, because we saw Him crucified, but we were hoping He would redeem Israel. Crucified people don't do much redemption. Especially if you're looking for the wrong kind of redeemer. You see, I, they thought that their biggest burden was something external to them. They were good Jewish people who, who believed that God would fulfill His promises in, in restoring them to the land and letting them be independent and free of Roman rule. That's what Messiah was supposed to do. Messiah was a descendant of King David. And descendants of kings are kings, and kings set up kingdoms. And crucified men don't set up kingdoms. We were hoping. The problem was Rome wasn't their biggest burden. Sin was their biggest burden. And the Redeemer they were looking for was, was, was not one who was going to deliver them from a yoke of politics, but one who would deliver them from the yoke of sin and slavery to sin. He would redeem them with His own life. So what are you, what are you looking for in Jesus? I mean, I hope that we look for Him as Redeemer, but what else are you looking for Him to do? As I kind of view the church large in America, sometimes it seems that we're looking for Jesus to change the politics, to change the economy, to, to make us feel better about ourselves or about our neighbors or about the world around us. Can you fill in that blank? I was hoping Jesus would... I was hoping Jesus would. What goes in that blank for you? Jesus does a lot of miraculous things. Jesus does intervene in places that we wish that He would. But the promise is 
that Jesus would redeem us from sin. That's the promise. And we in Christianity spend a whole lot of time looking at the world and going, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that. And I think we're looking for the wrong Jesus. Because the promise and what Jesus does is He sends them back to the Scriptures and shows from beginning to end what the Messiah was really about. Later on they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when He was talking to us from the Scriptures? I wonder if they began to get a clue when He went through Isaiah 53. He said God was pleased to crush Him when He bore our iniquities. Are you looking for the right Jesus, the one who ultimately solves all our problems when He redeems us from ourselves? And I may want to change a lot of things about the world. I may want to change a lot of things about you. You may want to change a lot of things about me. But are you looking to the one who will change you? Am I looking to the one who will change me? Because of the resurrection, not only are my sins forgiven, but because of the resurrection, I've been given the Holy Spirit. And I now have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to put aside those things that are offensive to God. To put aside those things that are selfish. To put aside anger. To put aside doubt. To put aside discouragement. To put aside jealousy. To put aside envy. And I have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to then put on selflessness. To put on sacrifice. To put on generosity. To put on love. Because of the resurrection. Because of what we celebrate this morning. Are you looking for a Jesus who will change other people? Or are you looking for the Jesus who will change you? And make you more like Himself. So that others will see Him in you. In us. See, that's the beauty of the resurrection. Is that that we can, with hope, look to ourselves and go, God, I'm a mess. Will you help change me? That's the wonder of the resurrection is, is I'm not bound up and dependent upon someone else changing for me to be happy. See, without Christ, I need you to change for me to be happy. Because you don't do what I think you should do sometimes. I need Washington to change for me to be happy. I need Raleigh to change for me to be happy. I need the people that drive up and down the highway to do something different for me to be happy. I need my spouse and my kids to be different for me to be happy. If I've forgotten about the resurrection. But the resurrection gives me hope and confidence that I can have joy and contentment and peace as I depend upon the resurrected Savior to change me. 
And then I can look to Raleigh and Washington and my wife and my kids, and then I've got something to offer. I've got Christ in me, the hope of glory to offer them. When I forget the resurrection, I offer them Michael. That doesn't do them any good. But if I can offer them Christ in me, that can make all the difference in the world. And believe me, they know when I'm offering them Michael and when I'm offering them something else. They've experienced those things. My prayer for us as Christ Community Church is that we would experience the resurrection first for ourselves and then as we begin to live that out, that our families and our neighbors and our co-workers would experience the resurrection as well. There's one more scene in chapter 24 that we're not going to talk about this morning, but I would like for you to think about this week. You see, some of the disciples were looking in the wrong place. Some were looking for the wrong person. And in chapter 36, Jesus shows up to a group of disciples gathered in a room and He says, Peace be to you. And the text says, But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. I would love for you this week to meditate on that passage and how Jesus responds to their startlement, their fear, their misunderstanding of who He is. I would love for you to spend time thinking about that and thinking about what does the resurrection say to these disciples who were startled and who were fearful and who thought that He was just a spirit as opposed to real live flesh and bone. And what does that mean as we live out the resurrection for people around us? Luke kind of compresses about 40 days into about 10 verses at the end of his gospel. But all of that is important to help answer that question. And I would love for you to spend time this week as you continue to celebrate the resurrection, thinking about what Jesus said to those disciples who were fearful and who were unsure of of who this was they were looking at. And may that be an encouragement to you and a challenge to you to, to allow the resurrection to impact not only today, but tomorrow and next week and next month and the years to come as long as Christ tarries or He allows us to stay on this earth. It's good to be with the body of Christ this morning. It's good to look out there and see Christ in you. It gives me hope and joy because that is where we find our hope. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your blessings and Your love and Your grace. Thank You most of all for Your Son, the crucified and risen Lord. God, we praise You for the gift that You've given us. God, as we walk out these doors today, help us through the power of Your Spirit to look in the right place for You. To understand and know that You're seated at the, at the right hand, Jesus, of Your Father. Help us to look to You. And help us to, to know You better. That we don't get distracted by false messiahs, false Jesuses. Father, thank You for this body of believers. 
God, I pray that you would um, encourage them through your spirit, that you would challenge them through your spirit, that you would remind them that they are sons and daughters of you. And God, we look forward to seeing what you will do in and through us and how the nations will be changed by how you live through us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.